Jesus gives up his power and his privilege for the good of others. Jesus is the incarnation of God, most powerful and privileged person in the universe ever to exist. And yet Jesus chose not to exploit that power for his own benefit, but he used it for the marginalized. He used it for those on the farthest edges of society. And so this history since Emperor Constantine of pursuing power, pursuing privilege, trying to change culture and create culture, every time we do it, it's a cheap knockoff. Christian culture sucks. And it also hurts the cause of the gospel. For those willing to listen, learn, and have eyes to see and ears to hear, this is the Nonpartisan Evangelical, where we're challenging the mindset of right-wing Christianity and encouraging people to have their minds renewed and hearts transformed. Let's have better conversations about the life modeled in the Bible so we can truly tell the world God is not mad at you. This is the Nonpartisan Evangelical Podcast at npepodcast.com. My guest today is uh, Reverend Brandon Robertson and uh, Rev Brandon Robertson from TikTok. I feel like uh, I'm a fan with some celebrity coming on my podcast today, Rev Brandon, because you're one of the first TikTokers I ever started following and you do great stuff on there. So it's exciting to have you on the podcast today. Well, thank you so much. And likewise, your your TikTok presence has been really encouraging. I feel like as progressive people of faith, uh, we have formed this real sense of community, even if we haven't had a chance to talk to each other. But I feel like we're in the trenches together, so to speak. So it's good to be uh, connecting with you. Yeah, it's it has been an amazing journey to find so many people. And, and honestly, I sort of tried to avoid that progressive Christian label for a while. But Ah, whatever. What the heck? Whatever it takes. Um, we're cool. supposed to follow every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, right? Not just has proceeded. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so it's it's fun finding each other, and we're going to talk a little bit about your story in a bit. But I'm I'm one of those podcast followers, just like get me to the meat. So let's let's start right at the meat of it all. And whoops, and you have uh, an amazing history of being a poli-sci, you have a master's in political science and public administration. You were a pastor of a church in San Diego, California. So an interesting mix of religion and politics and what you do. And and my wife and I kind of have that in our household. And, and it's funny, when we came on, you said the same thing I say, you're never supposed to talk religion and politics. And and we do both. How, how have, have, have you seen religion and politics kind of weave themselves together as important factors in what you do and, and in who you are. Totally. Yeah, for me, it's, it's, I kind of come at this at two different perspectives. I mean, when I first came to faith as a 12-year-old kid in a fundamentalist Baptist church, religion and politics were together. Uh, the version of Christianity that I was given was a far-right conservative version of Christianity. I remember one Sunday, it still pops up on my Facebook memories almost every year, uh, we had General Jerry Boykin, who is this very far right, uh, Black Hawk Down. Uh, that movie was a, partially about him. He came to our church and we had a whole patriotic service about him and his heroism. And so my early version of Christianity was tied, like so many, to Republican values. Um, and one might even say not Republican values, but far right values. And as my own faith has evolved in the past 10 years in particular, I've come back to the message of Jesus. I've come to the red letters of the Bible. And as a theologian and a pastor first, I began to be really compelled by kind of the socio-political vision Jesus cast. And the more I studied 
what Jesus was doing and the culture and context that Jesus lived in, the more I realized that Jesus, I think, first and foremost, was a political savior before he was a spiritual savior, which so many people uh, freak out when they hear, because obviously, like you said, it's kind of religion and politics are supposed to be separate. But Jesus came with a message about a way we could reorganize this world and the way we could restructure this world. And that is precisely political. And so that led me into this world of advocacy and organizing on the ground with real people, but also engaging in national politics and international politics. And I've, I've been uh, so blessed just to get to, to be in so many of these spaces over the past 10 years. That's really interesting. And because we, I hear a lot from people, you shouldn't be involved in politics and talking politics. I fully believe in separation of church and state. I think right-wing evangelicalism is off the cliff in craziness. Uh, so how do you how did you see Jesus as a as a political activist and and do you believe if he was incarnate today he would be involved in politics in in our culture? Yeah. Um yes it, to that last question I think. I don't know what that would look like. I don't think Jesus would probably be running for president, but uh but the idea is Jesus was a messiah. Um, no matter what you believe about Jesus, whether you're Jewish, atheist, or Christian, um, it's pretty universally accepted that Jesus had some level, the historical figure of self-understanding as the person who he believed was, he thought he was the Jewish messiah. And the Jewish messianic tradition was that a king would come. A king is a political leader. A king would come lead an army, lead a revolution that overturned whoever was oppressing the Jewish people, liberate the Jewish people, and then bring liberation to the rest of the world through the government that the Messiah created. I mean, that's literally the prophecies we sing at Christmas. Uh, For unto us a child is born, and the government will be upon his shoulders. So Jesus, at some point in his life, comes to the self-understanding that he's called by God to be this political revolutionary. Now, in Israel, Politics and religion are intermingled. And in fact, in most cultures throughout history, the two are intermingled. And I agree with you. I believe in the separation of church and state, but I don't believe in the separation of religion and politics because it is precisely spiritual values and theological values that lead everyone at some level to moral and political values. And so, um, yeah, I think Jesus, again, regardless of what you believe, if he's God or not, if you claim to follow his life and teachings, I think you need to be applying them to your political system and critiquing whatever political system we find ourselves in with his own words. I, I see that in, you know, Jeremiah 29, seven was a big verse in our lives. So it says, you know, seek the welfare of your city for in its welfare, you'll find your welfare. And, and I did that dangerous thing of reading the Bible and started to see God looks at people in people groups a lot. And the judgment is of nations and of kings. And even Jesus is saying, hey, Jerusalem, you who killed the prophets. I don't think everybody in Jerusalem had killed a prophet. So I, I, I think where I really agree with you in that is our government is the best representation of our heart. And the judgment of God is how are you taking care of the poor, the widow, the outcast? The, the foreigner. And so it does behoove us then, I think, to be involved in in politics. And like I said, I don't know if Jesus would run for president. I think that's a Shane Claiborne book, isn't it? Or somebody, Jesus for president. But 
Yeah, I think uh, if we're not actively trying to make sure our government is out for the welfare and justice of people, those those are the consistent judgments of God. And but I don't know. I'm sure you hear it a lot. People are like, "Hey, aren't we just supposed to win souls to heaven?" And how do you answer that question? Well, I think again, this is the problem, and this is kind of a larger critique I have with modern Christianity, probably in the past 500 years since the Protestant Reformation has, we have so much theology, so many beliefs that people assume are basic Christianity and uh, just assume are very clear biblically, which really have only come about in the last 500 years when people were given individual copies of the Bible without an understanding of culture or context or language. And, and so to answer the question about heaven and hell and saving souls, that's a medieval to modern understanding of salvation. But if you go back to the first century Jewish worldview, heaven and hell were not categories Jews thought in. And Jesus was the first century Jew. It wasn't a category he thought in. Jesus's understanding of salvation, again, was rooted primarily in this world, in this life. Salvation meant you individually living a whole life, a just life, a life where you're aligned with God and God's desire for you, and the entirety of creation aligned with God's will, which looked like, again, political reform, social reform, and spiritual reform all across the world. And so I think if anybody does the deep scholarly work that uh, I really think you need to do to understand an ancient text like the Bible, I think you come to a very different understanding of what it teaches and the one thing I encourage Christians to do, even if they find what I'm saying right now a little wonky, just go back and read Jewish sources, modern and ancient Jewish sources, and realize how different our worldviews are from those sources. And then I think that will help you do some reconciling work because we should be a lot more similar to them. And yet modern day Christianity looks almost nothing like the religion that Jesus himself believed in. And I think that's a real problem. So when Jesus was talking about inheriting the kingdom of heaven and advancing the kingdom of heaven, that wasn't get to streets of gold and mansions in the sky somewhere. Right. A kingdom, again, is a political system. He was talking about a literal government that would be established on earth as heaven. And as followers of Jesus, we should be trying to make that kingdom a reality. And many Christians have been doing that for the past 2,000 years. So you went from being a fundamentalist Baptist to an evangelical and now call yourself agnostic somewhere in there. So how does agnostic fit with being a reverend and talking about Jesus on TikTok? Yeah. So, I mean, the truth is my understanding of what it means to be agnostic, the word means to not know. It's the admission that I don't have certainty about anything. And some people see that as like an affront to faith, but I see it as the basis of faith. How can a reverend not know? You have to know everything. Come on. But I think that's where Jesus himself says, I don't know everything. Jesus says, I don't know the mind of God. I don't know what God's plan is for this or that or the other. And I think if that's the example Jesus is setting, I'm happy to follow in his footsteps. And I think precisely the problem with religion, why so many people are leaving it in droves today, is because we've offered fake certainty, and now we live in an information era where anybody can Google anything in their hand in 10 seconds, and they can call BS on what the church has been teaching for 2,000 years and have tons of facts to back it up. So instead of trying to be certain about our faith 
and create this false religion of certainty? Why don't we just say we don't know? We might have some suspicions, we might have some beliefs, but at the end of the day, what is going to save me isn't the fact that I know everything with certainty, but rather that I've surrendered myself to the grace and the mercy of what I believe exists as our creator. Why join the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon community? Because it's where all the nonpartisan deconstructing interaction happens. On the NPE Patreon page with Pastor Paul, you get special regular e-inspire content that you can't get anywhere else. You get access to our podcast guests that aren't available to the public. There are special Zoom sessions with Ashley and me and previews to what's coming next in the Pastor Paul world. You're invited into the private NPE Facebook discussion group and there's access to the audiobook version of Paul's novel, Joseph Comes to Town, which isn't available anywhere else in the entire world. And at higher levels of commitment, we can have one-on-one visits together or even coaching from my Pastor Paul coaching curriculum. The number one reason, though, to join the NPE Patreon community with Pastor Paul to help promote this message, my message, that God is not mad at the world. Your subscription helps fund the Pastor Paul work so we can bring this message to everyone everywhere. So help support the Pastor Paul nonpartisan evangelical Patreon community. Join the Pastor Paul NPE Patreon page and enjoy the benefits of your subscription today. And help me, Pastor Paul, share with those who have lost their faith community and need to know that God is not mad at them. Go to our website on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. That's patreon.com forward slash NPE podcast. What I'm trying to communicate to people is as a kid, I, I just, I knew there was something off in the story and everybody just be like, well, God's ways are higher than our ways. You know, that was always the answer. And yeah. who, who can know the mind of God? And it's, you know, just at the very basic, I just did a video series this week that I'm putting out on. I was told God created humanity because he wanted beings that could choose him or not choose him. And the angels didn't have that choice. And then I'm like, but wait a second, didn't Lucifer have the choice? And didn't a third of the, and so sometimes the story just doesn't match up. And I think you're right. The the rest of the world is like, you guys are full of it, even in your own story. And I guess, isn't that what Jesus did with the Pharisees a little bit too? Like you're full of it to your own belief system. And he was constantly saying, you've heard it said, but I say. So I think that's where you're bringing a really important message, Brandon. Well, likewise. And I think again, I'm going to harp on this, and I am always harping on this. The Jewish way of engaging with the text was never jot and tittle, everything is true, we need to take it literally. It was, there are layers and layers and layers of meaning between every word that is in this text. And one of my most controversial videos on TikTok are the ones where I engage creatively with the text, where I choose not to be literal. I just did a video of Jesus and the Lazarus story, and Jesus says the words, Lazarus, come out. And so I used that imagery as a call for Jesus calling LGBT people to come out of the closet. And people lose their minds 
But what I want to suggest is I'm actually being more faithful than the fundamentalists. This is how the Jewish interpreters read the Talmud. Go ahead and see how the rabbis used to be playful and creative with the stories and applied them to their actual situations. That's the whole reason I still think the Bible is such an interesting and compelling book, because we get to play with it and see what God might speak to it uh, through it to us. So where do you see the evangelical church now in, in our culture, and kind of how did we get here? Whew, uh, Big question. Well, huh? Yeah, the evangelical church, as we know it today, I think is probably about 50, maybe 70 years old. Um, evangelicalism, the kind that I loved 10 years ago, emerged out of the what was called the fundamentalist modernist controversy of the late 1800s, early 1900s. It was when evolution was coming on the scene and the scientific method was happening and evangelicals stood up in between fundamentalists and far left liberals and said, hey, we don't think the Bible's 100% factually true. The earth isn't 6,000 years old. Evolution is true. But we also don't want to throw away the resurrection of Jesus or the virgin birth. And they were this moderate, middle ground social justice movement that existed until about the 1960s when a great man named Jerry Falwell, a great <laughs> artistry, um, realized that there was power in this movement. And he began capitalizing on evangelicalism, creating the moral majority, intertwining it with political power and the Republican establishment. And since then, we've seen this gradual right-wing movement emerge that took on the name evangelical, but looks almost nothing like what evangelicalism looked like. And the best case scenario, the example is Billy Graham and Franklin Graham. Billy Graham was one of the founders of modern evangelicalism, and he was relatively progressive compared to modern-day evangelicals. Franklin Graham represents the fruit of what Jerry Falwell did, and he is about as far right conspiracy theory Trumpian as one can be. And so I think evangelicalism has lost its soul. And I frankly don't think it can be redeemed at this point, but we'll see. Wow. That's, yeah, that's a big, big term. And we grew, I grew up in a home where Ronald Reagan and God were neck and neck as the greatest beings that ever existed in the universe. With Reagan pulling slightly ahead, I think uh, you know, in, in a lot of ways, and it's and it is sad. Uh, it, and, and in our tradition of Christianity, there this idea of the seven mountains theology uh, emerged, and we were going to take over the spheres of culture. And my wife and I were talking with people, and like, didn't didn't Jesus kind of serve culture? I mean, wasn't wasn't he here to serve and sort of? bottom up change things by freeing those that are in bondage and and setting them free versus taking political power. So I guess for me, and I'd love to know your thought on this, the difference is this right-wing evangelical idea of taking over power is probably, looks to me more like the Pharisees and the Sadducees than it does Jesus. Would, would you say, or how do you see that? Yeah. I mean, I just spent uh, six months writing a book on this whole idea of kenosis from Jesus, this idea of get, Jesus gives up his power and his privilege for the good of others. He utilizes his, if you take Christian theology, traditional theology as literal, Jesus is the incarnation of God, most powerful and privileged person in the universe ever to exist. And yet Jesus chose not to exploit that power for his own benefit, 
but he used it for the marginalized. He used it for those on the farthest edges of society. And so this idea that, and it's not only evangelicals, to be fair, the Roman Catholic Church, thousands of years, has been connected to this idea of let's- Evangelicals are just the loudest right now. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Christians have a bad history since Emperor Constantine of pursuing power, pursuing privilege, trying to change culture and create culture. And every time we do it, it's a cheap knockoff. Christian culture sucks. And it also hurts the cause of the gospel. People end mm -hmm. up seeing what we're doing and they see the kind of values that we're actually living out in our pursuit for power and privilege. And people are not idiots. I mean, the Dalai Lama, or not the Dalai Lama, uh, Mahatma Gandhi said, I love your Christ, but I don't love your Christians because your Christians are so unlike your Christ. He wasn't brilliant for saying that. That's what a majority of the world thinks when they look at evangelical Christians. They know Jesus. They're down with Jesus. They're not down with whatever the institution of Christianity is uh, portraying to the world. Yeah, and I, I think you're you're right on. I, I have come to the conclusion that it it is, I guess God can do anything in, in some sphere of what we think, but but it's become pretty irredeemable. And and when I see history and I, I, I look at like Jeremiah and that season where God just says, okay, I, I gotta be done with you. And even Jesus said, hey, not one stone of that thing's gonna stand on another. Exactly. And I feel like we're in a very similar season where it's really gonna have to go away for something new to, to finally emerge and take hold. Yeah, my mentor, uh, Phyllis Tickle, before she passed, wrote a book called Age of the Spirit. And she was a real prophetess, I believe. Um, but she drew on Jesus's own prophecy about the temple, him saying, I'm going to destroy this temple and three days I'm going to raise it up again. What he was saying was not literally talking about a building, although the temple did get destroyed. Right. He was saying, the system of religion that the temple represents is going to be destroyed and I will create a new thing. And the thing Jesus created was a grassroots movement of people that became family with each other and served one another and provided each other for each other financially. Jesus created kind of the anti-institution movement. Um, again, I would say a socio-political and spiritual movement, whereas religion is always trying to create institutions that mimic power and empire, the very things that were against Jesus, that actually led to Jesus's crucifixion and the church's persecution. So I think we need to be really careful when anybody claiming to follow Jesus institutionalizes the way of Jesus, because that's inevitably, it seems, going to lead, lead to corruption and, frankly, anti-Christ values. Hmm. And it just, even listening to you say it, just, it breaks my heart. You know, this is my, this is my lineage and my heritage. And um, we started a church and led it for 10 years, an evangelical church. And it's just, I, it's why there's a book called Lamentations in the Bible. So we can say, oh. wow, we've, we've, we've lost it. But uh, one of the things you told me is is your goal and what you're doing on social media and TikTok and your other medias, which we can talk about, is helping people in this idea of deconstruction, which has become fairly prevalent in Christian circles of people sort of leaving their faith communities and now searching for what comes next and doing that in a way that that, that they pursue a healthy spirituality. Cool. And I guess a really personal question for me and some things my wife and I have discussions on on a regular basis is when you're in that agnostic space, how does that, how does, how do you keep that from interrupting 
Jesus influence in your life or even your belief in God at all? Uh, how, how does your spirituality continue to unfold as you're in your own deconstruction journey? Yeah, again, I mean, even as you're talking, it just dawned on me. I mean, deconstruction and tearing down the temple, like that's this, they're the yeah. same thing. Jesus was talking about what is happening today. Um, well, and, and I, and to inter- not to interrupt you, but to interrupt you, I mean, to me, then I read Hebrews and it's, that book is all about, and here's why it had to be destroyed because you were going to be tempted to go back. And, and it was never God's plan in the first place, you know? And oh, yeah. I, I, I do think that's the season that we're in that God is like, Hey, I never wanted the church to be that way. So we're going to have to take you to something new. So I know some people are bothered by the deconstruction idea, but I think it's pretty vital in the season. Yeah, and not to go down a rabbit hole too far, but look at Reform Judaism today, which is really what I believe. The I would suggest that's the fruit of the trajectory Jesus started as a Jewish rabbi. This idea of okay, no, now there's no longer a temple. Now there's no longer a central authority, a central place of connecting with God. So what does our religion do? That's what the Jews were asking in the first century and continued to ask. And what they came up with by and large was God's going to continue to speak. God's spirit is going to be wild and beyond the temple. It's going to be in all places and through all things. And you see reform Judaism today is this radical forward thinking, progressive movement. Um, And I just think as I watched the trajectory of Judaism over the past 2000 years, since Jesus's time, and I look at the trajectory of, I think kind of the authentic, strand of Christianity, which I almost sound like a fundamentalist saying that, but there's always been this lineage of people that have been just so compelled with the way of living Jesus offered and had a radical openness theologically. And that's the thing. Like, if you want to find, I believe, if you want to find the truth, look at what the sages and the mystics and the prophets throughout the ages have been talking about going to the Hebrew Bible, like you've referenced numerous times, go to the early desert fathers, go to the medieval uh, mystics, and you'll find this radical sense of, I don't know, and a radical commitment to following. It's like, we don't know the answers about what happens when we die. We don't know what God's like, or even if there is a God, which is really scary for a lot of people to admit. And yet most of our revered saints have said such. But what we do know is that if we follow in the path of Jesus tangibly, if we sell all we have and give to the poor, if we love our neighbors as ourselves, if we turn the other cheek, our lives will be more fulfilled and our world will grow better. And i that's the kind of faith I really want to advocate for is like, let's be open, creative. Let's talk without fear about the ideas that uh, on the big questions of life. And then at the end of the day, let's come back and make sure we're feeding the poor and providing for one another and calling out injustice. And if we're doing that, I think everything's going to be okay. And I think God delights in that. Yeah. And and isn't that a bit of what, what Jesus was doing is saying, like, let's get rid of the rules. And, and I love that language you're using of like, let's just creatively pursue God together and pursue loving our neighbors better yeah. and, and kind of see what comes out of that. Maybe a little bit. I, I, Again, that's language that's scary for people, but but to me, you know, it, Jesus is constantly saying, "Okay, you've heard it said, but let me display the character of who God is, 
and if you really understand that character. And so here's Peter and Jesus says, eat this food, Peter. And Peter's like, hell no, I won't do that. The scripture clearly tells me not to do it. And, and Jesus says to him, my interpretation of it is, who's your sovereign Lord, me or the Bible? And again, that's a scary thing for people. But to me, it's like if if we get this fundamentalist view of the, the Bible, this evangelical fundamentalist view, we we miss the creativity of God in the middle of that. And, and God's saying, love each other and see what happens in it. But so as a theologian that knows this stuff way better than me, I, I mean, how how do you look at what you're reading in, in the text that's kind of different than what maybe you knew as a fundamentalist Baptist or evangelical? Yeah, well, I'll start off giving people a resource. The thing that one of the books that changed everything for me was a book called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals by uh, William Webb. I've got it on my shelf right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a good one. And it's a, he's a bona fide evangelical. I think Daryl Bach, who's kind of a stalwart theologian of evangelicalism, wrote the foreword to it. But that book, Webb creates what he calls the redemptive movement hermeneutic. And the word hermeneutic just means way of studying the Bible for people who might not know that. Um, How long ago was this, Brandon? This was probably in 2014 when I got a hold of this book for the first time. Okay. Um, and I don't agree with everything in it. He's, right. He comes to the conclusion homosexuality is a sin, and obviously I don't agree with that. But um, what he did was just simply point out what the Bible is doing and what evangelicals had ignored about the Bible. And it's the idea that there's a trajectory in scripture from Genesis to Revelation towards a more inclusive vision of the world, towards a less legalistic vision of God. And really, he didn't use these words, but I will. There's this evolution of human consciousness, the way we understand and perceive God, how God has revealed God's self to us, progressive revelation throughout history. And in the Hebrew Bible, in the very early books of the Hebrew Bible, you have a very different version of God than you have when God reveals himself in Jesus. And all throughout the Hebrew Bible, the ethics of scripture continue to grow more progressive. So Jesus demonstrates this really clearly. He says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. He quotes the Hebrew Bible. That was the standard of justice. If someone kills you, God says, you get to kill somebody from their tribe. That's justice. Jesus comes along and says, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, turn the other cheek, bless those who curse you. Jesus takes this standard that was revealed by God and says, but God actually is calling you to a higher standard. That was good mm -hmm. for them, but you weren't ready to receive this full command, but I'm here to tell you, this is where God's calling you. And the last thing I'll say, because I can rant on this forever. Uh, That's good stuff. He, Jesus says before he ascends into heaven, he says to the, to the disciples, I have much more to teach you, more than you can now bear. So I will send the Holy Spirit who will continue to lead you into all the truth. Jesus says to the disciples, there is stuff that you need to learn, but you don't have the capacity right now to understand it. Hmm. The Spirit is going to come and continue to reveal the truth. And I don't think that meant just to those disciples. I think that meant to all disciples that ever follow Christ. The Spirit continually is calling us to broader, more expansive understandings of what it means to be human, what it means to follow God. And that's the kind of two strands of Christianity we have, the fundamentalists of all form who want to say, no, the Spirit is done speaking. And then you have this other side. We can call it 
charismatic, you can call it mystic, you can call it contemplative, people who say, no, the spirit is still speaking and we're not confined to the words of a book. The book points us in a direction and we need to keep listening because the book doesn't go far enough. The book still condones slavery. The book still calls women to submit. The book still, you can read it as condemning homosexuality. But we know, many of us, most Christians today would never say slavery is God's will. How do you get there? Not using the Bible, by listening to the Spirit and listening to how God is speaking uh, through the abolitionists and others. Anyways. Uh, That's great. So, so it's a progressive movement we see through the Bible rather, rather than God as schizophrenic or something else. Uh, and, and I was taught that that God worked in covenants with the people. So the covenant that, you know, the Mosaic covenant meant that he had to kill their enemies. And if they disobeyed him, God had to kill them. And so I've wrestled with these different ideas, or is it just human beings giving an interpretation of an explanation of evil, or maybe even justifying their own malfeasance by blaming it on God? But you see it sort of as a progression then, huh? Yeah, I think I agree with kind of what you just said, that on one hand, this is humanity progressing. So like, like take out God, there is no God for this moment. Okay. If you just look at human history progressing, we, it's objectively true to say 20,000 years ago, the moral values of humans that existed were far inferior to the moral values of humans today, universal human understandings of ethics and morals. Throughout history, there has been a continual expansion of human consciousness to more just ways of being in the world. Now, it, it's not a straight linear line. There's so much wisdom in the ancient humans that we need to go back to, but there has been a progression and like, that's just kind of objectively true historically. And so I think you're right that what the Bible is, is this chronicle of about 4,000 years of humans understanding of the world and of ethics and of God continually expanding little by little and so you see the earliest book in the Bible, Job, you have this wild image of God that almost nobody believes in, of God and Satan talking to each other and God putting bets on humans. That's an archaic version of God. And by the time we get to Jesus, you have a much more um, expanded version of God, a much more just version. I mean, by the end of the New Testament in 1 John, we're told God's fundamental nature is love. That's different than the God of Job. It's not that there's different gods, it's that the people's understanding of God has evolved and changed. And I think that's the case also for us to continue to be open to evolving and changing because that's what it means to be human. We've been doing it since the dawn of consciousness and we're gonna to continue to evolve. Theology today should look different than theology a thousand years from now. It's interesting, I mean, we do see hints of it in the Old Testament, you know, of, yeah. Jonah saying, I knew you were going to forgive these guys and have mercy on them. And I didn't want that to happen. So I, I didn't want to come here. But um, so so how do we then maybe look at Jesus? Because I, I, you know, kind of how I'm looking at this whole thing now is like, if I read something from Paul and I don't see that in the life of Jesus, I reject it as, as being something that's pertinent or a command, at least for us today. And I'm not sure Paul was always writing theology. I think sometimes he was just like, yeah, tell those people to shut up. Let, you know, they're, they're causing problems in that town. Let's. But 
how do we then extrapolate from the life of Jesus, I guess, without becoming heretics is the question. How do, how do we know we are truly walking out the path that, that Jesus sort of laid out for us or demonstrated or any of those things? Or is that even an important factor? I think that's an important factor. I think being a heretic isn't, um, because here's the thing. There was no creed in the New Testament. Arguably, the only creed is Jesus is Lord. That was something uh, I think Paul says, unless you say Jesus is Lord, you can't be saved. Uh, Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That was what early Christians believed, which again is a political statement. Uh, Jesus is Lord was a parody of a phrase that was all over the Roman Empire. Every coin said Caesar is Lord. So it was a political proclamation that we are, our allegiance doesn't lie with the government, but with this rabbi. And I think Jesus made it very clear. The only thing that matters, he says, it's not those who say, Lord, Lord, but those who do the will of my father. When he gave the great commission, he didn't say go into all the world and make Orthodox people. He said go into the world and make disciples. What is a disciple? Someone who literally follows what the rabbi taught. So if we just take the red letters of Jesus, what he literally says to do, love your enemy. Even the hard commands that I don't think probably you or I will ever get to in our life, but we should aim for. Sell all you have and give to the poor. Like that's kind of the simple but radical thing that Jesus said. This is what is salvific. I don't even believe in hell, but he says, if you don't do this, you're a son of hell. If you do do this, you'll participate in the kingdom of God. So the belief stuff doesn't come until 500 years after Jesus was on earth when Constantine calls together a council and they decide what orthodoxy is. It's not biblical. It's not even apostolic. It came from a bunch of men who sat down with an emperor, which Jesus, I can only imagine, would have been furious by uh, about. So all that to say, I think my orthodoxy is how well are you taking what Jesus said to be true? Everything else is secondary. Let's have grace. Mm. Let's be creative. Let's be humble about it. The one thing I'm not going to be humble about is if you call yourself a follower of Jesus and then you hate your enemy. I think there's pretty clear biblical grounds to say you're not actually following Jesus if you're doing that. Yeah. And I think, and you may have, I may have even seen you say this on TikTok that there truly isn't anybody that takes every word of the Bible literally, even if somebody says, I'm a literalist of the Bible or any of those things. Because uh, again, in my faith tradition, we knew you say the magic prayer. I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be disrespectful. You you say the sinner's prayer and you're in, you're in the club. Now, I grew up in a tradition where you could lose that salvation. Others said you couldn't. But nonetheless, then I would read, depart from me, I never knew you because you didn't visit me in prison and clothe me when I was naked. And I and so you have to have a you have a dichotomy there of it's all grace, and I'm in for saying Jesus is Lord while still then I have to kind of ignore this idea that Jesus rejected people who didn't take care of the poor and clothe the naked. So none of us are taking this literally, are we? No, and those who claim to be literalists are most often the ones who have theologies that allow them to ignore the teachings of Jesus. And we all, you know this, I think I've seen you make videos. So many of us talk about kind of the Pauline Christianity versus the Christ Christianity and modern evangelicalism and Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy is really obsessed with the Apostle Paul 
And like you said, I don't think Paul knew he was writing scripture. I don't think Paul was trying to write eternal commands for everyone. I think Paul was a pastor dealing with really messed up churches and giving them different contextual advice that is not applicable at all to our churches in 2021. And I think Christ Christianity is something that has always been universally applicable and universally challenging to liberals and conservatives. Because again, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, I've obeyed all the command. What more can I do to be saved? Jesus says, the one thing you lack, sell all you have, give to the poor, and then you will enter the kingdom. And it says the young ruler walked away sad. I think that's a commentary on all of us as we Mm. pursue following Jesus. We're going to walk away sad because we're going to fall short. But the good news of the gospel is this. As we pursue Jesus, as we pursue following Jesus and trying to live in his path, and we do fall short, it is by grace that we will all ultimately be saved. And so let's keep trying to follow Jesus and know that if you don't get to the point where you can empty your bank account and uh, give it all away, it's okay. But then, for me, like all theology just gets reframed to make sense. Paul writes in Romans 6, shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? By no means. He wasn't talking about don't say a cuss word, otherwise you'll go to hell. He was saying, we're trying to live out these radical values of Jesus and we're going to fall short, but we should continue to try and also know in the last day, it's not going to be contingent upon whether we did it perfectly, but that God is gracious and loving and will forgive ultimately everyone. So, Wow, that's a, I love that perspective. And I think we, we, we missed that you know, Jesus' act was greater than Adam's act. So it mm. kind of wipes that out. And so we're like, it's all grace and you can't be pro-choice. Yeah, <laughs> you know, we we always add these ands and buts on there. But one question I'll leave you with here on our public podcast and, and we'll talk more for our Patreon community here. But as you're dealing with deconstructing people of, of faith that are out there in a searching time and some of them are really grieving and hurting, of losing community and all those things. But one of the things I hear is, you know, what I miss is that intimate time with God, that in, you know, intimate time with Jesus. Of course, the community they miss as well. But if somebody is just saying, okay, I, I want to deconstruct, I want to learn differently, but I don't want to lose Jesus hmm. in the process. What, what do you say to somebody like that? Yeah, well, it sounds like the person you're describing is talking about kind of the experiential nature of worship and spirituality within a conservative context. Like, uh, and I'm with you. Like, uh, I still love going to a Hillsong concert. God forbid, I hate most of their theology and their anti-LGBT <laughs> and all sorts of stuff. And there is this beauty in the evangelical tradition of connecting people to whether we want to call it God or you want to, in a more cynical view, call it, an emotional high, whatever it is, there's this intimacy that does come that really is helpful and healing to us. And I don't think you have to give that up. I mean, I think the thing is, first of all, the contemplative and mystical traditions have always had um, spaces for you to connect with God. This isn't a call just to become a justice warrior. It's a call to have a deep spiritual life. Jesus said the kingdom of God is within. And then he said, the kingdom of God is in our midst. The idea is you've got to be connected to God deeply. And I don't think becoming a progressive or deconstructing means you have to leave that behind. I think it does mean 
you'll probably have to open up your mind and your understanding of what that looks like. What could it look? How would you be willing to go sit um, in a meditation group and try to connect with God that way? Or would you be willing to join a community that maybe you feel a little out of sync with because you're not used to it, but these spaces exist and progressive spiritual spaces continue to exist and evolve and grow around the world. And so I just, I keep finding myself telling people like, they're so surprised when they discover a different way of being Christian, but this isn't new. It's been around for 2000 years and there are communities, there are spaces, whether you're a Pentecostal or whether you're a Roman Catholic, there are spaces that will embrace you, that will give you the kind of worship experience you're wanting and that will allow you to be honest and open and ask these kind of questions. You just have to do your work and look for them. So, Wow. I, I feel like we could have this conversation for about three more hours, but uh, I, in all my study of podcasting, people don't listen that long. So I try to keep it to the point and, and brief and leave them wanting more. So thank you for this part of our conversation, uh, Reverend Brandon Robertson. And uh, tell everybody real quick about where they find you on the web. Two best places, uh, like you said, TikTok, Rev, B-R-A-N-D-A-N, Brandon. Yeah, you got to remember the A-N at the end of that for sure. So I'm there way too often. And then if you just go to brandonrobertson.com, that's kind of the clearinghouse of books and podcasts and everything in between. So, Very cool.